Happy Memorial Day weekend. Hope you've had a chance to rest a little, relax a little. And it's a great chance to really pause and reflect on sacrifices of so many, sacrifices that bought freedom and continue to secure freedom for us. And no doubt you're familiar with the story of Pearl Harbor, the bombing by the Japanese that really launched America into World War II. And what you might not be aware of is another bombing that happened actually just a few hours later in the Philippines. The Japanese bombed an airfield in the Philippines, and that set into motion what would eventually become one of the most daring uh, rescue missions of the war. Troops in the Philippines were outnumbered, they were outgunned, and eventually they had no choice but to surrender to the Japanese. And as many as 70,000 troops were ushered into concentration camps. There was limited food, limited water, the conditions were ripe for disease, and yet by 1944, General MacArthur had, had begun to make headway in the war, and it became clear that he would soon reach the Philippines. And the Japanese commanders of the POW camp decided they would begin exterminating the troops so that if they had to flee the coming Allied forces, they wouldn't be weighed down by sickly, malnourished prisoners, slowing them down. And so as MacArthur landed in the Philippines, he learned about conditions there, and he learned about a group of Allied soldiers, over 500 of them, that were were still being held in one concentration camp. And And the decision was made to go and to rescue them. It wouldn't be easy as the camp was 30 miles into enemy territory and well-guarded and uh, combine that with the fact that the Caucasian American soldiers didn't exactly blend in with the native Filipinos uh, made it a pretty daring rescue mission. And so it became a job for the Army Rangers. This elite group of soldiers volunteered to go and to rescue their fellow soldiers who'd already suffered so much, and what would prove to be uh, one of the more dangerous missions of the war, they they marched to within five miles of the camp, and then ended up even crawling the the final mile in, trying to get the element of surprise as they as they started their rescue mission. And the surprise worked. The rangers were able to free the prisoners. Some of these guys were so undernourished that the rangers could carry uh, two soldiers, one on each shoulder, as they ferried them out to safety and freedom to a rendezvous point, and uh, some of the native Filipinos loaded them on ox carts and, and ferried them on to safety from there. So an amazing story. I mean, that, my description just scratches the surface of, of the details. It's full of bravery, full of sacrifice, and that kind of, of sacrificial rescue is what I want us to reflect on this morning. As we continue our study of Hosea, we're going to arrive this morning at another passage that's, that's not the message of Hosea, but it's the, uh, the story of Hosea, meaning it's not what Hosea uh, is told by God to declare to his people, but it's a story about Hosea's personal life. And as we explore this rescue story, I think we'll find connections with our own lives. There's parallels between what Hosea describes and the journey that you and I are on. And even though we all have unique elements to our story, uh, there are some pieces that we all have in common. Uh, we all have a uh, past a present, and a future. That's true for us. It's true for Hosea and Gomer, his wife, and and this part of their story. And so I want us to look at it together. We're going to look at Hosea chapter 3. And uh, it's a short chapter, so we're going to read it all the way through. And as we read, look for these elements of past, present, and future as we read. So Hosea chapter 3, you can find it on the screens as well. The Lord said to me, go... Show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. 
Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So this, this narrative section, it, it's sandwiched in between two messages. We, we talked about the message in chapter 2, and there's another message in chapter 4. But in between, there's this story about Hosea's family. Apparently, at this point in their relationship, Gomer has fallen into some trouble. She's either left Hosea or been, been drawn away, but, but God gives Hosea a calling. Look again at, at verse 1. The Lord said to me, to Hosea, go. Show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. And no matter how many times I read this passage, I can't read the phrase sacred raisin cakes without giggling just a little bit to myself. So just getting that out of the way. But uh, we'll talk about sacred raisin cakes in, in just a moment. But, but this first part of the story is the past. And Hosea, he's married to Gomer. She's a woman who has a penchant for adultery, for uh, uh, infidelity, just like you and I. She's got a wandering eye that turns into a desire to have things that you shouldn't have. And here it seems that even though Hosea has married her, they made a life together, she still can't shake her adulterous ways. And yet God tells Hosea to go and love her again, show love to her again, just as God remains faithful to his people, even though we're constantly cheating on him with other things, uh, God asks Hosea to reflect his level of faithfulness. Go, show your love to her again, even though, as the passage tells us, she's loved by another. So that might be an indication that she's left Hosea altogether. It might be an indication that she's uh, being enslaved in some manner. She might have left to pursue another lover, or she might have just gotten caught up in some kind of human trafficking situation. It's not clear, but either way, she's in trouble. She needs rescue. Things are bad for her, and the kind of rescue that she needs, the kind of rescue that we need is not a calm, sit across the table and work out the terms, negotiation. It's a rescue mission. It's getting down and dirty, going in, pulling her out of a dangerous situation. It's a a no turning back kind of a mission, like the army rangers pulled off in the Philippines. And if Hosea's story is a reflection of how God loves you and I, then this rescue is also a a reflection of that, of how God rescued us. God saw our past. He saw us in great need and he rescued us. He didn't just make a decision and watch it being played out from a distance. He came to us, born in the most humble of circumstances, living a life of poverty, of trial at every turn, and then suffered for us, died the most excruciating death imaginable, all to rescue us, to rescue us from ourselves, from our own penchants for infidelity, our own sinful tendencies to cheat on him with other gods, with with cheap substitutes for the one true God. 
And God asks Hosea to go and to rescue Gomer while this adultery is still in process. It's, a, it's an act of faith. It's a bold demonstration of love to a person who has not asked for it and who doesn't deserve it. God's not asking Gomer to clean up her act first or straighten up. Don't be such a terrible person. He just sends rescue to her as an act of faithful love. And again, if if Hosea's situation reflects our own, then we have to realize that's what God has done for us. God came to us in our past and he rescued us, not asking us to, to meet him in the middle, to clean ourselves up, but just coming to us in our time of deep need and deep hurt and deep shame. God rescued us. And the story of Hosea captures really like no other part of Scripture the, the, the tension that, that God has for the people that he loves. God refuses to ease the pain of this relationship either by compromise or by quitting. Uh, God is not going to quit loving us. He, he also won't compromise because he knows what's best for us and he knows that he can provide that. He's not going to leave us alone in need of rescue either because he, he quits or because he realizes, well, we're always going to be looking at other gods and cheating on him, so what's the point? He, 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 the way he loves us, he, he balances that tension. He's not going to quit. He's not going to compromise. And even the, the way this first verse is structured hints at this kind of tension. The word love occurs five times in this verse. Each time it goes back and forth from God's pure love uh, to our baseless and filthy love. God tells Hosea to show love to his wife, pure, faithful, gracious love, even though she's loved by another with with a filthy love that's not love at all. It's just using her for cheap satisfaction. And then God reiterates to Hosea, love her, as the Lord loves, again, this holy, righteous, forgiving love that shows grace to all who sin and fall short. And that's contrasted with the thing that we love, sacred raisin cakes, of all things, right? So while God is pouring out his heart in love for us, we're stuffing our faces with just one more raisin cake, a cheap substitute that's not going to satisfy us. I mean, deep down, nobody even likes raisins. They're gross. They're just... <laughs> grapes that have been left out too long. You know, if you've got a spread of cookies and some of them have raisins, those are going to be the last ones to go. Every other cookie will be eaten first. But here we are giving our love to sacred raisin cakes while God is giving us his son. God won't quit on us and he won't compromise. His love knows no boundaries. The next verse provides some details about Hosea's rescue. Look at verse 2. So I bought her, he says. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. So this is the, the price that Hosea paid to buy his wife back. And it's an odd price. The measurements don't make sense to us who are modern readers. But even without knowing what a, what a shekel or a homer is, we can tell one thing. This was costly. This was Hosea scraping together everything he had in order to buy back his wife. Uh, he's going to the bank and cashing it all in and, and digging through the cushions on the couch to get together 
all that he has in order to make up this price. And, and Bible scholars point out that it's this, this amount is the same amount that it costs to buy back a slave, according to the Mosaic law. So that might be an indication of the situation Gomer finds herself in, enslaved, enslaved to her situation, to her own desires, not able to break free on her own. She needs rescue from Hosea. She needs redemption, like we sang about this morning. That's a word we toss around a lot in church, but this is exactly what it means to buy something back from slavery, to buy a person back. And, and that's exactly what Hosea does with Gomer. And remember, Hosea's job is to show and to tell what God is like. And so as we apply this to our own lives, we need to recognize that we've been redeemed, bought back from slavery, slavery to sin. And yet for us, the price was not silver or barley. God did gather his most precious resource and used it to buy us. The Apostle Peter in the New Testament tells us this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's the price God paid to redeem us, his own blood. Hosea's story reflects what God is really like, but God is not just buying one person. He's redeeming the whole world, redeeming all of us from sin. So if this is our past, it's not pretty. A life wasted on sacred raisin cakes, enslaved to our desires. But God redeems the past. He rescued us from that old way of life. And the next part of the story details the present. After Hosea redeems Gomer, they begin a new chapter of their relationship together. Look with me at verse 3. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. So this is the present. This is uh, the new chapter of their lives. Hosea and Gomer are united, but, but things are different now. Uh, there's a period of time in which the old patterns, the old ways have to be broken. The old pathways need to be erased, and that takes time. But even in establishing this, notice Hosea is committed to her. He says, you will live with me many days. He's in it for the long haul. He wants to see her grow, to change, to be the person that God desires her to be. And he says, I will live with you. He's going to be there with her through it all. And Hosea, he's smart enough to know this is not going to be easy. In the, the short film we watched this morning, we see the Hosea character going to the bail bond office. He's buying back Gomer, purchasing her, freeing her from prison, from her enslavement to sin. And then they start a new present, right? He brings her uh, home. He shows love to her. He's going to commit to her for the long haul. And he, he gives her the, the cake with the ring. He's committed to her. But Hosea's story, it's not just a story for him. Its purpose is to show what God is really like. And so Hosea's whole life is a message for God's people. So look at the next verse, verse 4. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. So here, Hosea's story is applied to God's people in his time. For Hosea uh, himself, he redeems Gomer. He says, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute. Be intimate with any man. I will live with you. And then here comes another layer of understanding to that. 
Just as Hosea is committing to Gomer for the long haul, God is committing to his people in the same way. He tells them there's going to be a period of growth, a period of, of time when they'll be without, without uh, things that, they'll, uh, you know, that they've used, that they've relied on. They're going to have to undo some of the bad practices that have become so ingrained in their worship and in their daily lives. So God tells them they'll be without these things for a time. And it's a strange list of things. He says they'll be without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. And I'm not going to take the time to dissect the whole list. But the idea is that they're going to be without some good things and some bad things. Some things they really need and that they're going to have to wait on. And some things that they really don't need and that they've grown dependent on, they're going to be without forever. So it's a list that's a mix of good and bad things. And, and they don't have a king or a prince. That means they won't be their own nation. They won't, they'll be subject to other countries, to other kings. But God also says he's going to get rid of things like sacred stones, which they don't need and they never needed, things that they use to worship false gods. So the people that Hosea is ministering to, they were just like us. They're just like Gomer, enslaved to sinful patterns. They had good intentions, they wanted to follow God, but they just got all mixed up. They began to follow other gods and mix up worship with all kinds of negative influences so that even the good things had become corrupted. So this is a total reset for them. And in fact, that's exactly what happens not long after this book of Hosea occurs. God's people are taken into exile. All these things are indeed taken away from them. They go through a period of growth, a period of repentance, of renewal, understanding what God is really like and how they failed to reflect him in so many ways. But God rescues them. He redeems them and brings them back into a relationship with him. He redeems the past and then God renews the present. And as we've said, we've got our own past, present, and future. We experience the same kind of things that Gomer experiences, that the people of Israel experience. We've been redeemed, and now in our present, we're in a period of growth or a renewal. So God renews our present. And just as Hosea pledged to be with Gomer, God has pledged to be with us. For us, in the present, God is with us always. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. God is always with us. What an encouragement that is. His presence guides us in this process of growth and renewal. So we go from being redeemed by God to being indwelt by God. So his presence guides us as we grow, as we're renewed in the present. And our focus on the present is just that, on renewal, growth. Continual growth in the Lord, turning to him constantly, turning away from the sin that has ruled our hearts. We slowly lose our taste for sacred raisin cakes, things that we used to find satisfaction in, but in reality just draw us away from God. So let me ask you a serious question. What's your sacred raisin cake? I mean, the people of Hosea's time, they tried to find satisfaction in anything other than God, in, in raisin cakes that they use for worshiping false gods. But what about you? What, what are you? What's your version of a raisin cake? What are you filling yourself with that leaves no room for God? What do you need to get rid of in your life to allow God's presence even more room in your heart? What keeps you from renewal in Christ? The final section of Hosea's story in this chapter looks to the future. 
We've explored the past, a past characterized by slavery, slavery to sin, but God redeems the past, gives us a present, a time of renewal and dependence on him, and now the passage turns to the future. Look at verse 5. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So Hosea's story paints a picture of the future for God's people. They'll be renewed, they'll turn away from sin and turn towards God, and not just to God, but notice what the passage says, they'll turn to David, their king. All throughout the the Old Testament prophets, they talk about a future when a king like David will rule God's people. He'll, He'll unite God's people into one kingdom and he'll rule with justice and mercy and righteousness. Well, for us, we have that same future, only for us, we know this king more fully. His name is not David, but he is from the line of David. His name is Jesus. And he will rule all people from his kingdom, but he's already established his kingdom in the hearts of you and I. And a time is coming when he's going to establish a physical presence, a rule and a reign here on earth for all eternity. That's the future we have to look forward to. Earlier, we looked at First Peter, where Peter tells us we're redeemed not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And Peter tells us something else helpful about the prophets and about this future. He says this, the prophets who told us this was coming, asked lots of questions about this gift of life God was preparing, lots of questions about the future. They clamored to know who and when. All they were told was that they were serving you, you who have now heard for yourselves through the Holy Spirit the message of those prophecies fulfilled. So Peter tells us that that prophets like Hosea, they're serving us, preparing us for the future, a future when Jesus' kingdom is established on earth. That's good news for the people of Israel, but it's good news for us. It's good news for the whole world. So we have a future to look forward to and one that's not yet fulfilled. We're being made ready for that future. Jesus will one day return and establish that kingdom. But in the meantime, we're being made ready for this future now. As we've said, we've got the Spirit living in us. That means a portion of God's kingdom has already arrived. It's already here. It's already been established in us. So our job in the present and into the future is to usher in that kingdom, to to spread the kingdom to people who need God's love and justice and mercy. That's our purpose. God renews us in the present, makes us ready for the future preparing us for an increased role in spreading the good news of Jesus' kingdom. So this story from Hosea, it it paints a picture of the past, the present, and the future. A past that's, that's marred by sin and one in which we are never abandoned by God. God redeems the past. He saw us in the darkest parts And he did something about it. He enacted a rescue mission, redeeming us and giving us a new identity for the present. He gave us himself, his Holy Spirit, filling us. So God renews us in the present. And he promises an even better future for us and for the whole world. He's making us ready for that future when God himself will rule in love and justice and peace and righteousness. And this morning, I want us to to cap off our reflection 
of this future, our reflection of our own redemption by observing communion of the Lord's Supper. Jesus himself instituted it as a way to commemorate the redemption that he offers. For you know, it was not with perishable things that you were bought, not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. So let's take time to worship Christ in the manner that he instituted. I'm going to ask the men who are helping serve to uh, come forward at this time. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we want you to know this table is open to anyone, anyone who has a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, If you have turned away from sin, you've turned towards him as the forgiver of your sins, then you're welcome to participate. If that's not a decision that you've made, if you can't mark that kind of decision in your life, then I would encourage you to use this time to reflect on the sacrifice that Christ made. Reflect on these words on the screen and, and what God has done for you, demonstrated in Christ. Because God wants to rescue each and every one of us from slavery, slavery to sin. He wants to redeem us from our own sinful nature and habits. So use this time to to come to terms with what God has done for you. And nobody's going to think anything less of you if you just let these elements pass on by without partaking. And finally, I want to warn each of us with the same warning that the New Testament provides, a warning against partaking of the Lord's Supper in what the Scriptures call an unworthy manner. And we're all unworthy, but what they're talking about is if, if you know in your heart that you have unreconciled sin, that you have open rebellion against God, things that you're willfully holding on to that you know God doesn't want you to, that sort of a thing, then, then you need to use this time not to uh, bring judgment on yourself, but to do business with God, to talk to God about what's going on in your heart. And again, no one will think any less of you if you let those elements pass on by. So, communion was created by Jesus as a way to uh, commemorate what he's done for us, to commemorate his love and his redeeming rescue for us. And the bread, the juice, these elements represent his body broken and his blood poured out to pay the penalty for our sins. And on the night that he was betrayed... Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 